Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers. Uh, this is your co-host, George N2APB, with the other co-host, Joe N2ZX, welcoming you to the July 31st session. This is our 33rd episode, and we're really pleased to be here. And this is uh, Chat with the Designers, which is your live, online, interactive, weekly magazine for Homebrewers, QRPers, ham radio ops on a worldwide basis across the fruited plains. Some of them are soggy, some of them are hot, but we are here and we are enjoying what we're doing. Tonight's topic is concerning component selection series continues as we now talk about resistors. Now, you might think that resistors are ho-hum, that you know everything that there is to know about resistors. Well, let me tell you, as Joe and I were constructing the material for tonight's session and kind of overviewing it and the different angles that might be of interest, we there is no lack of material for going through the topic of resistance from a homebrewer's perspective. That is, what you need to know or at least be aware of, relative to resistors in your designs. Sort of like various parts of the body, everybody has one, at least, and you really need to take care when selecting that resistor or the resistors from a biasing perspective, from an EMI perspective, from a power handling capability perspective, from the mounting and size perspective, and then there's there's even some more that we're going to go through. So I hope you find it interesting. And please, by all means, speak up if there's something on your mind, if you really want to uh, make a point. And again, the whiteboard is where all of our material is. And uh, if you're listening live here tonight, you can dial up the URL that's indicated there in the um, text section of the window. We have a lot of material on that page that we'll be talking directly to. Some pictures and things that might even dynamically change throughout the uh, throughout the show tonight. Will we have that ability? So, um... Let's kind of get into it. We have some good material to talk about tonight. And as the introduction uh, email said, um, and by the way, the podcasters listening on this uh, this program too, thank you very much for, for dialing in. You're not with us live, but believe me, you are in our minds when we're talking through here. And we'll make every effort to make sure that our points are clear. And hopefully if you're not at your computer at the moment and such that you can look at the whiteboard that is up there all the time, um, you can look at it when you get back to your uh, to your computer and and follow along and understand the points that we're uh, we're trying to make. So in the introduction, what we did is said that we're going to cover resistors and their basic applications, the different kinds and some of the issues with design. And then we have two interesting wrap-up sections toward the end of tonight's program. One is we're going to dissect an oscillator circuit. And what we did is we provided a little bit of a chart that is going to be helpful as a checklist for what is it about one component or another that makes us select that component or maybe a as it's not pictured, I don't, I don't think we have an actual photograph of the circuit physically, we can still address what kind of, uh, what power rating resistor would be necessary, what heat sinking might be necessary. And this is kind of, again, building off of last week's session, which was, uh, which is dealing in general with parts selection. We had a tremendous amount of feedback relative to the value of this, uh, of this particular thread. And we'll carry it for maybe another session or two, or maybe we'll intersperse it with something else. But touching base on resistors and capacitors, as we did last time, resistors today, and I think the next most popular item is toroids. We'll be talking about toroids next week. But again, with each of those components types, the various selection criteria that are important. As designers, we need to be aware of. And hopefully this uh, this will be a, 
a useful uh, overview for you. Maybe some items will be listed that are new to you. And certainly a collection of reference material that you can use going forward when time comes to be dissecting or understanding your next circuit. The last part of this white page um, is a direct application of resistors. We thought that in talking about the exciting and ubiquitous resistor, that what better kind of a project that we as home brewers with RF would be interested in, and that would be that of a step attenuator for RF to knock that one watt down to the milliwatt level, perhaps, or even less, in order to get into the QRPP range, the very small low-power low power communications, or taking a larger signal coming from a signal generator, knocking it down by 40 dB or more, in order to provide a signal source for some signal measurements that you might want to do in a receiver. So we chose, uh, we showed a couple of designs, but we saw one that was very, very nice. And we're going to talk about that one specifically and ways that you can, with the right parts and PCB pieces and switches and BNC connectors that we here on Chat with the Designers will likely be able to put together for us as another project. We'll be able to replicate it ourselves and have a uh, useful piece of gear. Along the way, of course, you'll be exercising many of the principles that we are espousing here and we're going to get into right now. So, Mr. Joe, N2CX, why don't you take us away and try to explain to us, myself included, I've got some questions here I'm going to bombard you with along the way, Joe, and I'll urge everybody else to as well. As far as all the different kinds of resistors, you thought, uh, everybody here, you thought that the capacitors were a little bit kind of uh, confusing with uh, various kinds of polymer, polyester, poly this, poly that, film, disc film. Well, resistors come in a variety of forms and there are issues with every one of them and best applications of them. And we'll try to summarize those as we go through, but you'll find it interesting, I think. Joe, take it away, please. Okay, yeah. <laughs> There are a zillion kinds of resistors. Uh, fascinating to see how many different kinds there are. I've been uh, fortunate enough to have worked with a number of them over the years and watched uh, the number grow and uh, become more specialized. The very first thing on the whiteboard uh, shows up just a quick picture of several different kinds of resistors. The old uh, familiar composition type carbon resistors used to call Allen Bradley's because that was the biggest manufacturer. There's a uh, metal type resistor, which looks kind of generic, uh, which is more common these days. And there are film type resistors uh, where there's a um, metal film, metal or carbon film underneath. And there's a cutaway view of a composition type resistor you can see that shows that there's a uh, some carbon and some binder in there that are just pressed together and the leads stick in the end. That's all it is. And then there's a... Uh, Film type resistor shown the guts with a, uh, a metal, a spiral of metal, which uh, is resistive. And then uh, going down a little more, um, go through uh, just a tad on each type of resistor. The uh, very first common types of uh, resistors were carbon composition back in the uh, back from the early days of electronics. Uh, there's a cutaway view showing a uh, compressed slug of carbon and a and silica, which is sand. The exact composition of it, the uh, proportions, determine the uh, resistance. The more carbon there is, the lower resistance, and the more filler, the silica, the higher the resistance. And the physical size determines the uh, power handling capabilities. Uh, these were good for general purpose things, generally uh, up to 10% tolerance. Uh, good for RF audio and DC. They did have their shortcomings. Um, 
they kind of drifted with temperature more than you'd like. And um, as we're finding now, <clears throat> the boat anchor people are finding, they age and they go up in resistance with age. And uh, some folks are finding that their older radios don't work. The old tube radios, some of the resistance have gone up to uh, as much as 100% um, increase in resistance. You're funny, Joe. You mentioned that just the way that you termed it, that uh, uh, those guys interested in boat anchors age, uh, or the resistance goes up with age. I think that's that's true for the, the person as well. Um, but nonetheless, that's a, that's an astounding fact that many of us don't get. Now, oftentimes, as as a uh, confirmed boat anchor lover, um, the, one of the first things that we need to do, of course, is to slowly bring up um, a boat anchor's voltage, the power supply, the AC to the to the supply, uh, in order to help um, the uh, age the uh, to to bring the capacitors up to uh, voltage slowly, such that they form instead of going bang, uh, bang and destroying a lot of stuff. And then once you do that, one of the one of the things to do is to go um, and either before this or or after you've brought it up is to recap it or to replace some of the electro electrolytics that have aged and dried up. Something that we all uh, is low down in the totem pole is to even consider these resistors. What can we do? I mean, short of taking it out and measuring each one, and maybe that's the, that is the recommendation for uh, checking the resistors for that supply the bias and and uh, the grid voltages and so on. I'm sorry, you're, you're asking what you can do to check them? Best thing is to, uh, if you have a voltage divider, you can check to see that the, the voltages measure right. But uh, beyond that, uh, you're pretty much stuck uh, putting an ohmmeter in and uh, trying to try to see what the, the resistance is now. Okay, is there any other evidence of, of aging? Um, uh, does any of the um, resistive element leach out of the end uh, in that particular manner? No, they're pretty much, uh, you know, it's it's almost like a ceramic material. They look pretty stable unless they've been overheated and burned. Uh, they look almost the same now as they did uh, 30 years ago when they were putting the radio. Okay. Here's another one, too. In fact, somebody had mentioned this on the chat with the designer's uh, uh, forum uh, over there on Yahoo Groups, and I think it's something that I've tried before too. Knowing that resistors change, one could file a resistor to raise this resistance. Now, chances are it's going to, well, if if you need to raise resistance, you can file, put it like a slot, um, a small V slot in the middle of the resistor, and then that would essentially raise it a little bit, so you could monitor it and bring it back into. Uh, into specification and, and seal up that wound that with some uh, some tree goop or whatever and and is, is that something that's still uh, done these days? Uh, it is done to some extent. Um, problem is, generally speaking, the uh, carbon comp resistors go up with the resistor, so increasing the resistance uh, uh, is going to put you the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. So I had mentioned if you have if you um, if you have a need for the 2.2k resistor, and the resistance ages upward, then uh, you know it's, you're not going to be able to bring it down by filing. But maybe if you started with a 1.8k resistor and filing it, it would bring it up to 2.2. Just a small point, perhaps just as much easy to get a uh, the, the correct resistor. So 
Any other questions about uh, carbon comp? These are hard to come by, and they're kind of expensive too, right, Joe? Indeed they are, yeah. Uh, like silver mica caps, they're getting rare. There are still some made, but uh, I don't know if there's a domestic manufacturer. I think they're, the few that are left are still made overseas. All right. I think... I think one of my really good friends is on the list here tonight. He's pumped an awful lot of uh, old carbon comp resistors over to me for my junk box, um, especially multi multi watt units. Dave, thank you, thank you once again for all of that. But it's something sur surely that I need to be uh, to checking is the uh, is the resistance and the aging. Uh, carry on, Joe. Okay. Gee, my parents always told always told me not to carry on. Um, another type of resistor, uh, more modern, that uh, fills the the need that uh, was set by the uh, carbon comps is a carbon film resistor. There's a ceramic body of some sort uh, that is an insulator, and and a uh, carbon film is deposited on it. Um, generally speaking, um, they select the uh, thickness of the uh, carbon and the length to uh, set the resistance and then it's trimmed to set the exact value. These uh, are very similar to the uh, carbon comp in, uh, in usage and in uh, utility. They're, they're pretty good. Um, they come a tenth of a watt through a watt, whereas the old carbon comps went up to two watts. Um, they're good, 10% um, tolerance, some 5% tolerance. And uh, they're usually good uh, for RF audio and, and DC, although for audio use, uh, for a high gain audio amp, they can be a little noisy. Um, not a bad temperature drift, not uh, perfect, but pretty good. And the best part is they're very inexpensive. Uh, you know, you're down in a couple, you buy in some quantity, they're down to a couple cents each. So uh, not a bad thing to have. Um, there's also metal film, where it's the same composition, but there's a, a uh, metal film that's deposited on the uh, ceramic the exact thickness and composition of the film determines the resistance and some of it is etched away in a spiral groove to uh, to set the exact value to get it within tolerance these are generally the uh, um, better than the carbon films lower um, lower strains and inductance and uh, better tolerance, very low temperature drift. And they're um, a little more expensive, but uh, not all that much. Again, if you buy them in quantity, they're down to uh, a couple cents a piece. Yeah, okay. I just was wondering whether it's carbon or metal film with the with aging, does the power capability vary with uh, increasing years? The ability of the resistor to handle a specific their specific amount of power? No, I don't think there's a... Uh, I think the power handling capability is set by the... Uh, the basic uh, physical construction of it. Don't think that changes all, all that much now. Okay, thank you. Yeah, something that's curious to me though, Joe, is uh, carbon film, metal film, and, and maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention to your uh, to your uh, words of wisdom here. But um, where is the carbon in the carbon film? I'm looking at the I'm looking at the the, um, the exploded diagram view. The carbon is the dark material. The, the uh, substrate is shown as white or light, and the carbon is uh, 
deposited from a, a vapor, and it's the uh, it's the dark material uh, in that picture. And why wouldn't it age in the same manner as the regular carbon comp? Just not enough of it there. Um, it the aging has to do with uh, being um, compounded with uh, with uh, other materials and fired. Uh, it's not stable with age. And it's also not perfectly encapsulated. These days, the uh, carbon film and the uh, the uh, metal films are encapsulated with an outer uh, insulating coat that uh, keeps air away so that uh, they don't deteriorate with age. Okay. In general, um, when we go to buy resistors on, you know, from DigiKey and Mauser and such, mostly what we get is the metal film. Is that not right? Yeah, I think what we've bought uh, generally is uh, is metal film. The cost difference is not that much. Where where the carbon film is used is, is in a lot of um, consumer electronics, where um, the manufacturers want to keep them dirt cheap. Gotcha. Okay, good good stuff. All right, and then um, getting to some more specialty uh, things, um, there are a whole variety of uh, packages which are uh, surface mount and specialty things. These are generally um, metal film or some sort of bulk material, some sort of bulk fired uh, ceramic. Um, the surface mount stuff is usually very, very small. The idea there is to, uh, to have uh, small components so that you can get a lot of circuitry compressed in, uh, in, a, in a given size. There are also other forms. There are some that are cylindrical some that are uh, uh, rectangular. Generally speaking, the larger ones are, are to get higher power. Um, the more surface area you have, more power can dissipate. Um, although they generally all have some sort of ceramic substrate with uh, metal film um, or some sort of uh, non-insulating film deposited over the ceramic substrate, covered with an insulating material, and then the ends are metallized. There's a metal flash put on the ends for a connection into the circuitry. Uh, these are very, very uh, low stray inductance, stray capacitance. And they're also uh, generally rather inexpensive. Can be gotten in uh, high tolerance. And um, the straight surface mount stuff, uh, uh, the smaller surface mount generally is only uh, good up to a watt. But there are types, as we'll see. Um, in fact, there's a leaded uh, device that we uh, show a picture of uh, directly below the uh, pictures of the surface mount stuff. These are uh, basically the same construction internally, some sort of ceramic substrate with a metal film deposited on them. Uh, but they have leads coming out to connect to uh, external circuitry. And they're designed so that they're either soldered or connected somehow to a heat sink to take away the heat. So you can get uh, surface mount resistors in the picture here, they're 20 watts. And um, I know George and I have gotten uh, 35 and 50 watt uh, uh, resistors that um, use the same internal construction, but they're designed to uh, to allow you to take the heat away so they can, they can be used at uh, higher power levels than the straight uh, small surface mounts. Uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, good evening. A uh, question that's, that's puzzled me from time to time. Uh, 
with all components, especially resistors and capacitors, where they're in a variety of uh, different tolerances. I wondered if they were all built on the same assembly line and then they were simply sorted at the end of the line and those that were within a tenth of a percent went in a tenth of a percent bin and the ones that were more than 10% went in a 20% bin kind of thing, or was it just a different manufacturing process? Well, back in the composition resistor days, that was true. Uh, they would make them, they'd make the resistors for a, uh, a general, uh, general uh, target value and then they would select them for the uh, uh, distribution they wanted. These days, uh, at least for the higher tolerance items, they're trimmed. They're automatically uh, trimmed with a, generally with a laser or some sort of sandblast. So that um, that's not the case. They um, they can trim them to the, the value you want. That said, uh, I at times have wanted to select resistors and I assumed an even distribution, um, you know, uh, if it was 5%, I figured there'd be uh, uh, some 5% low, some 5% high, some in the middle. I think uh, the trimming, sometimes they just uh, do enough to get it within that range. And uh, it's not unusual to have it skewed either high or low in the distribution. So these days, uh, uh, no, they're not selected. They're, they're generally trimmed uh, to the target value. Thank you. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought that trimming of at least the pedestrian types of resistors, surface mount resistors, were, was happening. I would have thought that the manufacturing tolerances themselves were so tight that uh, one would not need to do that. It seemed like an extra step. Maybe it might be so for the larger ones. And certainly in the old days, remember RTL and uh, thick film technology did a lot of trimming. But uh, I'm, I'm surprised about that. I didn't realize that, Joe. Yeah, probably for um, five and ten percent tolerances, they don't have to trim, but to get it uh, closer than that, I suspect. Uh, I see Alan AEW says uh, for five percent and even one percent trimming isn't done. Okay, but uh, I guess I'm out of step. I assumed up to five percent was, but uh, uh, for the tighter tolerances, uh, trimming is uh, is done. You know what I was thinking, Joe, was that. Uh... The uh, well, I was I was going to comment on the uh, the the handling. If you see some of the photos down there at the bottom where it says SMT resistor packaging, um, these resistors are especially the the 0805 and especially the 0603 packaging is really really small. And of course, as you can see by the tip of the pencil there, you need some tweezers and and so on. But all said and done. At the end of the day, um, I have really, really grown to prefer um, the uh, homebrewing with surface mount resistors or actually any kind of homebrew construction or um, home uh, kit construction. A kit that has surface mount for me is just so much easier and quicker to build than those with leaded parts. And it's cleaner, easier to get to the, uh, uh, the leads, many of the leads anyways, and, and just as a real fine thing. Uh, no pun intended. The uh, if you if anybody here really hasn't made the plunge yet to give it a try, you really are doing yourself a disservice. You should get yourself a pair of uh, tweezers, a fine tip soldering iron, and uh, and a good magnifying glass for the old eyeballs. And I think you'll find yourself eventually really 
catching on to the, the craze here. And even those ICs with small lead pitch, very, very closely spaced leads, are easy to do as we've talked in the past, you know, with flowing solder and then wicking it off it was solder wick or equivalent, that uh, it, it becomes a really nice uh, way to homebrew. And actually the project, again, at the end of the at the end of the session here is going to talk about using resistors, SMT resistors, for that uh, step attenuator switch. On that topic, Joe, um, can you address uh, power handling? I guess I don't want to lead your hand too much relative to the power capabilities of that NA5N step attenuator, um, but when you're using surface mount resistors that are inherently one-eighth or at most one-quarter watt, um, there's only going to be a certain amount of you know, input power that you're going to be able to handle um, for that attenuator, right? Indeed, that's the case. Uh, there are some things you can do. Um, in general, larger uh, surface mount sizes uh, can handle more power. Let me step back a minute. Um, I agree with you about uh, the uh, uh, ease of using uh, surface mount. In fact, it's kind of neat to do. But um, we'll come back and query you in about 10 years when your hands are shakier and see how you feel about that. Uh, if you're going to like a circuit that's 1% resistor, is that a special type or is that just one that they made uh, with very close tolerance? Well, as Alan indicated in the whiteboard, um, uh, the manufacturing tolerances are so tight these days that even at a percent, uh, they, can, uh, they can manufacture them and hold that tolerance. Um, you'll see that reflected in prices. The 1% used to be 10 times as expensive as the 5%ers. Uh, These days, it's the same price. Um, we do have a chart in the, uh, in the whiteboard with the SMT sizes. There are, there, <laughs> we have a, uh, some size pictures here, um, relative sizes. This, the scale is a little off on the web page, but uh, you can see the, the uh, resistors go from um, the components, the, Service mount components go from what's indicated as uh, 01005, which is 10 mils by 5 mils, which is teeny tiny, up to um, 2512. There, the 25 is 2 tenths of an inch, and 12 is 0.12 inches. Uh, and there are gradations in between. The common ones that are used, at least in ham use these days, are uh, the 1206, which is 0.12 inches long by 0.06 inches wide. The 0805, which is uh, 0.08 inches long, 0.05 inches wide. And uh, 0603, which is uh, 0.06 inches long and 0.03 wide. Um, generally speaking, the smaller they get, the less power they handle. And um, when you get down to the smaller sizes, you're almost talking about fly specs. These are used, the really small sizes aren't usually used uh, in manual construction. They're done, um, they use machines to uh, to put them in the circuit, but uh, they're a bear. Yeah, George indicates uh, in the notes that um, he doesn't like to go lower than the 0805 packages because they get hard to handle. Um, at L3 where I worked, we had a, um, had a, uh, a circuit switch which had printed circuit boards in that were about uh, uh, 14 inches wide and um, by 12 inches. It used surface mount components. They had some of the 0201 resistors on there. 
And on each side of the board, it was a double-sided board. On each side of the board, they had um, in excess of 5,000 components. And um, can you imagine uh, poor suckers had to troubleshoot that stuff? Really bad. Yeah, think of the uh, think of all of the, the spare parts you can get. I mean, last week we talked about one of the computer boards or whatever that one could sca scavenge parts off of uh, five a board with five thousand resistors on it of that O one O five size is really quite formidable. Um, but there's you know uh, as as I said I don't like to go lower than O eight O five, Alan. Alan's a brave soul. He must be younger than, than us as far as the handshake and whatever, but 0603 is, is okay for him. But even with surface mount capacitors there and, and resistors and inductors even, you can uh, still do some homebrewing on there pretty easily. Um, supposing that you wanted to put two series, uh, two resistors in series to get a higher value, you can prop up one resistor, you know, mounted like uh, at 45 degrees to the board's uh, the plane of the board on one pad and on the other pad put the other chip at 45 degrees and then connect them at the top of that little TP and you got yourself uh, uh, two resistors in series. You can do it for three and you can you form like an upside down U. Uh, you can get carried away. It gets a little bit delicate because as Joe was indicating before, the, the manufacturing process for SMT resistors um, and, and other components too is such that the ends are metallized and sometimes they actually break off and become unsolderable if you're not careful mechanically with them and overstress them. But um, I, um, I've had a lot of good luck doing some home brewing and modifications with uh, surface mount resistors. And I like using the 1210, the 1210, 1210-sized uh, inductors. Um, they're easier to use and, and uh, I, I tend to be able to get more inductance range uh, part selection, you know, from uh, Mauser and such. And, of course, a little bit larger power capability. Uh, Joe, go ahead. Okay, yeah. Uh, to each his own size-wise. Um, I'm most comfortable with a uh, uh, 1210 or 1206, but uh, obviously building some kits, I've uh, had to go smaller. Um the last kind of resistors we're going to talk about are uh, wire-wound power resistors. We've got a whole bunch of pictures of them, and these are um, these are made of um, resistive wire, generally nichrome wire, wound on uh, ceramic forms and, and covered with uh, some sort of ceramic coating. These are um, used where you have to uh, dissipate a lot of power um, in uh, tens or or more watts. Um, some of them, a lot of them, the big ones have to be heat sink, but uh, um, they are very useful for uh, power and at audio. But uh, since they are basically constructed of um, a, um, uh, a spiral of, uh, of wire, they have high inductance. So they're almost useless at RF. Even the ones that are supposedly, uh, quote, non-inductive have special windings that try to negate some of the resistance or some of the inductance. But um, when when um, when you get above uh, the tens of kilohertz, the inductance just each up, but very good for power supply uses. There are also some bulk power resistors. We have a picture of some of them. Um, they are ceramic tubes, some sort of uh, 
a mixture of uh, uh, ceramic, conductive ceramic material. These go up to 100 watts or so. Um, if you look at some of the larger, um, the guts of some of the larger dummy loads, they use these things. Being uh, constructed of bulk materials, they have low, low inductance, so they can be used for uh, good RF. Um, we have a picture also of a specialty power resistor, which is a, um, it's a um, metal film resistor mounted in a uh, TO220 heat sink. Um, and a TO220 case. On uh, the picture here, it's shown it's a, a dummy load George made uh, with a um, one of these resistors mounted on a uh, aluminum heat sink and connected to a DNC connector with the short leads. And this is good enough that um, it's within um, SWR of about less than 1.1 to 1 up to 2 meters. So it's quite good. Uh, another quick picture of um, some other bulk uh, resistors used uh, in a series parallel connection on a good heat sink. There are some 50 ohm, 400 watt resistors uh, in series parallel. So a total dissipation rating is on the order of uh, 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 1600 watts. And uh, uh, the claim is for this construction is good up to uh, 500 megahertz. So special resistors, indeed, you can get uh, you can get high power, um, so long as you um, you take uh, pains to keep stray uh, actances low and uh, use a large resistor, uh, large heat sink to take away the heat. Final word on uh, heat. Um, many of the you have to be careful. Uh, check manufacturer specs on the heat. Some components are rated um, for um, a certain power level in free air. Many of the larger power resistors are indicated uh, as having a power rating of um, uh, whatever their, their number is based on a specific uh, package temperature. So that you have to keep the, uh, the package down to that temperature as was just indicated with some sort of heat sink. And um, as a rule of thumb, generally speaking, it's always best to derate resistors by 50% or so. If you're going to dissipate a watt, you should use a two watt resistor, uh, simply because uh, the life of the um, things goes up exponentially as you reach as you reach the uh, the life decreases exponentially as you get close to the rated value. Uh, and eventually the darn things will uh, burn up in the uh, in the uh, mill world. Uh, there are a lot of reliability calculations done based on derating. And uh, the more you derate a co component, more you use as a, a uh, lesser power than its ratings, um, uh, the more the lifetime goes up. Uh, question. Yeah, Joe. What's the um, what's the failure mechanism for an overstressed heat-wise uh, overstressed uh, uh, resistor? Maybe look at the those two N two uh, those TO two twenty packages, or the uh, those four hundred watt packages in that uh, dummy load. Yeah, there are all kinds of failure uh, failure modes. Quite often, what happens is that um, um, there's a, a differential. Um, 
coefficient of expansion and contraction with temperature. And uh, the, the more you heat them close to the ratings, the more they have a tendency to uh, separate internally and to break. Um, whereas if, if you don't uh, cycle them in power quite as much, there's less of a tendency for them to, uh, to come apart internally. Um, I think that's a main failure, failure mode. Although um, if you really overrate them, you can burn darn things up. Yeah, indeed. Um, I know you had anticipated my question too, because when you got into the heat issue, I know that's a, um, that, that's a topic that gets you heated up about having adequate heat dissipation. Um, we could probably have a, at least a portion of a, a future session on that topic, how much heat, how much surface area of a heat sink, how much heat sink in general is needed for different applications. Um, you and I did an awful lot, you did an awful lot of, uh, uh, computations and such for the uh, penny whistle lamp that we're using in the SDR power cube, and uh, and I think that our experience is kind of bearing out your your empirical, uh, your uh, theoretical uh, uh, computations. Just want to point out that LM thirty uh, five package that's shown next to the you know the big old uh, sixteen hundred watt uh, dummy load LM thirty five DT. That is a temperature sensor. I'm not sure if you mentioned this, Joe, but it's uh, located somewhere on that heat sink. And uh, one could attach a, a DVM, a standard old DVM, to its output to where it says uh, 10 millivolts per degree C and actually calculate the temperature um, and rise time um, as, as the heat sink is heating up and determine if uh, empirically, in this case with actual data, if you're... Um, adequately heat sink in that particular project. Indeed, yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing to do. And I also want to mention kind of parenthetically, um, we found, George and I found uh, at Harbor Freight, there's a non-contact um, thermometer uh, that has a little laser light in it um, and a, a thermal sensor where if you hold the thing, uh, uh, say four inches away from a, a um, heated surface, it looks at the um, infrared energy coming back from where that dot is focused, and it'll tell you the surface temperature. Very good way to get a uh, some idea of how hot a, uh, a power transistor is getting um, as you uh, as you apply power to it. Uh, Non-contact, uh, pretty simple thing to do. Indeed, and that's a good tool as a kind of a pointer for anybody. If next time that you're over there at um, Harbor Freight, it's a handy uh, handy device, non-contact temperature sensing. I've used it several times here in the shack um, quite uh, quite successfully, and I really appreciate pointing it out to me uh, as you did, Joe. Um, what I'd like to do, Joe, is to skip over, skip over again the analyze this schematic um, in favor of going to the analyze this two stepper uh, step attenuator schematic in the time remaining, which I think would be appropriate uh, to handle this uh, step attenuator, I'd really like to go through it because on, on one hand, it's so simple. And on the other hand, it's so diabolically fraught with some problems. 
and it's not necessarily the easiest thing to just kind of whip up and grab any part from the bench and do it successfully, especially at some of the low powers we like to deal with. And I'd really like to uh, um, address that. What do you think? Sure, indeed. Uh, yeah, uh, we, in this analyze this too, we have a uh, schematic diagram of a uh, 50 ohm step attenuator. It has uh, four force uh, pi resistive sections to, um, to uh, attenuate RF. And the idea is each section has a, um, has a, a designated attenuation value and you just either um, bypass it or allow power to go through it to um, uh, select the amount of attenuation you get. Um, in the, the uh, schematic shown, there's a 20 dB section, 10 dB section, two 10 dB sections and a 3 dB. So with all of them in, you get um, 43 dB of attenuation. And uh, uh, with, um, and you can switch in or out any of the, any of the three sections. There's a table of, um, um, in the schematic diagram, there's a table of actual uh, resistor values, both calculated values and 1% uh, values so that uh, you can you can come uh, pretty close to getting the exact values needed for different attenuation values and tailor it to what you want. Um, in fact, this was done by NA5N and he has a there's a picture of it here and it's not really easy to see, but there is a there is a link at the end of the um, end of the uh, um, references to the NA5N um, attenuator. It's a step attenuator he built on a piece of um, a PC board. He uses controlled um, trace widths to have microstrip, and then he uses surface mount components, um, surface mount resistors, and common uh, double toe, double pole, double throw switches to switch them in and out. Um, and the one thing he did in addition is each section has a shield soldered in place so that um, the surface mount components have very low strays using a strip line, which is 50 ohm line construction with the appropriate widths of conductors. You stay very close to 50 ohms and then using shields um, to keep any stray coupling. This thing is good to um, a fraction of uh, a dB up to a, a gigahertz. Uh, this is something that's reasonably difficult to do. Um, and this is, he's a perfectionist. This is a, a very good example of it. Um, we have several other photos of um, attenuators. There's a thing designed by um, uh, K5BCQ. Uh, he's, um, I forget his last name, um, from the um, Austin QRP group. He has a uh, attenuator, resistive attenuator, same general idea but with um, um, discrete resistors, through-hole resistors, keys talon, K's talon. Um, it looks like they're carbon film uh, resistors um, uh, on a, a long strip of uh, PC card. Uh, reasonably easy to do, uh, to duplicate. And then there's a um, photo of a, um, that has no um, shielding between the sections. So at the higher attenuation values and the higher frequencies, 
um, it won't be quite as exact. There's another photo of someone who did a, um, again, a, a resistor with a, an attenuator with uh, um, discrete resistors in a PC board box where they actually uh, soldered in shield sections uh, to get the uh, uh, to get a good effective shielding between the sections. This is the sort of thing you have to do to uh, to go high in frequency. When I say high in frequency, above about 30 megahertz of um, a VHF, it really starts to each up. Uh, question. Yeah, Joe, um, as I recall, you um, either did an article, a construction article, uh, and I, actually I was looking for the photograph that, that complemented your article, um, concerning this, you know, uh, creating a couple of stages of isolation, uh, isolated uh, attenuators like this. And it was either in uh, Joe's Quickie from QRP Quarterly, or it might have been in an earlier um, one of our homebrewing magazines, QRP Homebrewer or Homebrewing. Nonetheless, I will still try to find that with your guidance, and I'd like to post it because it really illustrates some principles that we're going to um, make available in the form of this chat with a designer kit, um, uh, only available for you know the CWTD uh, attendees here and podcast listeners, uh, such that we um, you know can actually construct and and have effective isolation. That was one of the main points you were trying to make in your quickie article, as I recall, and it was not just for. Um, higher frequency operation, higher frequency isolation, or isolation during high frequency operation, but it was for low signal. Um, you got to contain those. You got to contain, isolate that uh, attenuator when at very low signal levels. Is that not true? Indeed, um, and it appeared in several. Um, uh, let's see, I had a column entitled. Uh, Test topics and more, um, and the uh, it was a uh, microvolt signal source that appeared in a couple um, uh, test topics and more columns, and in a couple of Joe's quickies. Because there are so many parts to the design, I wanted to lay everything out. Um, it was basically a uh, an oscillator that ran at a one milliwatt level at a given uh, uh, frequency, and then there were a series of attenuators. Um, to knock that down to a microvolt um, in 10 dB steps. And the basic idea was to uh, develop something that had a um, very precise output level and then very carefully controlled attenuators so that uh, you could get down to a microvolt, not have all sorts of leakage. Um, and each was uh, soldered together sections of printed circuit board. So that, um, in fact, uh, with this thing all zipped up with a battery connected to it, uh, if you had a nearby receiver, you could not even hear any leakage from it. Um, so it was very carefully designed to, uh, to control the attenuation and to uh, provide old shielding to, uh, to keep, it, uh, keep it precise as you wanted. Oh, boy, that's, that's, you said that's so right. And uh, boy, those that are that's exactly two of the most important areas that you have to uh, worry about leakage. 
and that's in very low signal operation, low signals, handling low signals and circuits and so on, and uh, uh, older age hams. So I appreciate that comment, Joe. That, that's, that's quite appropriate. If, um, if you haven't yet, if, if those listening here haven't yet opened up the PDF represented, uh, uh, representing Paul Harden's uh, attenuator project, the entire construction article is there. And with some beautiful colored photos, as Paul is so well known for illustrating in his articles, um, you will uh, you will see what we're going to attempt to kind of um, collect in the form of uh, uh, parts and such, such that you'd be able to put this together. I here here on the bench, Joe. Um, I'm just kind of turning and looking down the down the row of equipment that I have, and you know my bench so well too that the usage of a step attenuator is very valuable from a couple of different perspectives. I'll, I'll mention just maybe one, and maybe you could either amplify on that or to add another one as well. But fundamentally, taking the output from my signal generator, my HP 86, uh, 8640B, and uh, knocking that down um, in a controlled way to the circuit under test, and oftentimes I'm just testing with a receiver here, so I'm looking for minimal signal detection um, and, uh, and such. So um, other usage of, of a step attenuator, Joe? Well, some of the other uses are <laughs> um, measuring, measuring uh, gain of an amplifier. You can do an A-B comparison um, by having a node attenuation um, and uh, comparing, uh, what am I trying to say? Feeding, feeding an amplifier straight through to some sort of measuring device and then um, uh, uh, not uh, adding attenuation to uh, the output of the, the uh, amplifier till you get down to the same level. Um, if, you, if you go straight through without the amplifier, take a, a measurement and then put the amplifier in line uh, and Put an attenuator on the output till you achieve the same level. You can uh, measure the gain of the amplifier without having a uh, calibrated uh, RF uh, signal uh, meter, RF uh, voltmeter. There you go. That's uh, so you're uh, essentially measuring the, the the change, whatever the change is from what it was or at the input to what it uh, is afterwards or at the output. So um, yet another uh, technique, and it's a bit more of a of a protection type of uh, technique. Uh, you taught me this is uh, in my BNC that takes the output from my um, from my uh, as I just described from my SigGen and pumps it into a receiver. It actually pumps it into a transceiver, and then I'm trying to measure the receiver for. If I forget, heaven forbid, but if I forget that I'm my, my antenna is connected into a SIGGEN, uh, and I go to transmit, which is so easy sometimes to hit the PTT switch, or you get your cables mixed up on the bench, and I don't know, you haven't seen my bench, but it's sort of like my construction bench. My operating bench and measurement bench is equally messy, but you get to love these things. And But if you get the coaxes mixed up, and you transmit into a signal generator, such as a nice 8640B, the most popular one ever, I think, um, if you ever get a chance to find one on eBay, go for it. Average price might be about three hundred dollars, 
very well worth the uh, the effort, especially if it's indeed calibrated and such. But anyways, if you to in order to protect my SIGGEN, if I happen to transmit a low power signal into it, if I use a step attenuator in between, it acts as a buffer of to a certain degree, and it protects my signal generator. So all I have to do is flip in a switch that is a 10 dB switch or a 20 dB switch um, or a pad, and then I know that uh, if I can account for that in my signal generator setting when I'm actually doing the receiver measurements, it's, it's just fine and dandy, but it will protect me if I inadvertently key that soft rock and start transmitting the signal out uh, along that cable en route to the signal generator. Now, all these things, and I don't know, Joe, if there's any other uh, idea that comes to mind, it's probably a boat load, but all of these things, it's kind of curious that these are done with resistors. So, you know, you might have thought upon hearing of the show, like, oh, we're going to talk about resistors. Well, man, you know, E equals IR, you know, I squared R, you know, you know everything that there is to know about resistors, and maybe that's the case. But here's a device made with just resistors and the switch or whatever to get it in, switch your uh, stages in and out. But you got a resistor and uh, you've arranged it such that it can really serve well on the RF bench. And there's nothing more than uh, just the passive resistors. So kind of, uh, kind of at least one interesting case for use of resistors. Um, and of course, voltage dividers are used all over the place. And we use them in just about every project that we have for establishing biases uh, bias levels uh, that are halfway between the rails, for example, or um, taking an input voltage from, you know, plus V and knocking it down to something that can be measured by the microcontroller as uh, we do in the Micro 908. We do it in the NUE PSK modem, the new PSK modem. We do it in a variety of projects as a way to provide a, uh, with, you know, with a multiplication factor because of the divider dividing the voltage. Um, there's a way for you know your microcontroller to actually measure the uh, uh, measure the voltage of the incoming plus V. Um, so obviously resistors are very play a very powerful role in all of the projects that we do, and uh, I think sometimes uh, uh, an article that comes to mind uh, in praise of knurled nuts is a is a classic trademark article by our our uh, good host here, Joe, and 2CX, um, an article that he did a while back, kind of uh, uh, extolling the virtues of use of, of neural knots. So too with resistors, they, they're underplayed, and I think with the pro armed with the proper knowledge and awareness of its capabilities, you know, you too would be able to use the right resistor at the right power level with the right heat sinking to minimize... Uh, to minimize stray you know, while minimizing stray or minimizing drift to be able to achieve what you want and need for your given circuit. Um, Joe, other kinds of uh, resistors maybe that we really haven't touched on that, you know, we talk about the step attenuator and uh, other, other uh, kind of classic uh, or maybe specialty resistors. Oh man, you're, you're throwing me a while. There are indeed other specialty resistors. A couple that come to mind are, um, uh, of course, potentiometers. We didn't even touch on potentiometers tonight. That's a topic in itself. Uh, potentiometers and rheostats, which are variable resistors. There are also resistors that, uh, um, the photoresistors, that, uh, whose resistance varies with uh, light. 
so that uh, you can measure um, a given light level. Uh, very handy for well, whenever you have to measure light level. Um, and there are some that are used in strain gauges to uh, where the resistance varies with uh, uh, applied strain when you're uh, making uh, mechanical uh, measurements. And uh, yet another is, um, it escaped me at the moment, oh, thermistors. Thermistors have a uh, resistance whose temperature varies, um, whose resistance varies with temperature. Um, obviously used to measure um, uh, temperature to, uh, to build thermometers, that sort of thing. And uh, a, a, um, a newer usage of um, a temperature-dependent resistor is a so-called positive temperature coefficient uh, uh, switch, which is a, it's a device used in place of a fuse where um, it's used in series with a, uh, a power supply or quite often a battery. And it has the characteristic that its, uh, its resistance goes, um, goes up with uh, resistance but it has a snap action. Once you get past a certain temperature, it switches to a completely open circuit so that it's protective. It's a self-resetting switch. Uh, very, very handy device. And um, indeed, they're, uh, they're inexpensive too. Many of the, um, the uh, lithium battery packs these days have them built in so that um, if you short circuit them, you don't blow up the battery pack. Uh, very handy that way. Um, before I wrap it up, finally, I wanted to mention one other thing. There is a chart in the uh, in the whiteboard, which is power dissipation in a uh, pi pad resistive attenuator. What this does is for the three resistors, the input, uh, middle, and output resistor, um, it gives for various attenuation values the percentage power dissipated in each of the three resistors. Um, so that if you build a, a, an attenuator, you want to um, have it operate at a given power level, you can select the wattage resistor you need based on this table um, to, uh, um, to uh, give you the dissipation rating. For example, a 6 dB attenuator, the input resistor uh, will dissipate uh, 33.2% of the total power. The series resistor that goes between input and output will dissipate 33.2%. Uh, and the output resistor only dissipates 8.3%. So you'd need Husky resistors for the first two, and you could use a smaller one for the output uh, resistor. So if you're building a power pad, a power attenuator, uh, you can choose the uh, appropriate values of the resistors and not have to use all the high power resistors for each section. Um, handy thing to know. On the other hand, if you do tailor the resistors uh, given this chart, you don't you can't swap input and output because you're you're bound to determine, uh, as Murphy says, to uh, burn up that lowest power resistor. Um, wrap up, George. You want to uh, tie the tie the ribbons on this? Yeah, one more question to you first, Joe, while, while uh, I get my thoughts together there, is uh, how about negative resistance, the old GM parameter? Um, where, can, where can I go and buy a, a negative resistor? 
you always got to be negative about things. Negative resistance is, uh, there are no negative resistors per se. There are certain devices. Uh, you can use amplifiers in the appropriate configuration to give the effect of negative resistance, which means that um, uh, as you increase voltage, the, um, the current actually, uh, current through it actually goes up. Um, there are, uh, um, there are circuits that do this, and, and uh, it was actually a device, the um, total diode, which exhibited uh, negative resistance. So it could be used as an amplifier. Um, they're not much used these days, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alan had a slight correction. GM really isn't negative resistance, it's transconductance. But uh, yeah, yeah, tunnel diodes and as I say, uh, uh, the appropriate con connection of op amps or indeed uh, some folks make what they call a lambda diode out of a PNP and an NPN transistor to give you a negative resistance and to uh, come up with an amplifier circuit or uh, in the case of lambda diode, generally an oscillator circuit. All right. I figured if there were ever something to, to end up on, that would be good. So um, we didn't have many uh, many people jumping into the this week for, with questions, and I'm wondering if there are any now before we wrap up. Actually, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Excellent topic again. And uh, I remember years ago, uh, I was doing a lot of surface mount work, kind of back when it was uh, kind of coming into favor. Or just starting to, and um, there was still a lot of uh, fiddling around a bit with the um, the pad sizes for putting circuit boards. You know what the geometry should be with respect to uh, uh, the components and um, uh, re you know solder reflow profiles and things like that. And it was very common to get uh, uh, kind of a very descriptive term after you went through your reflow soldering to, to get uh, some of the components what we call tombstoning where the component would stand up on one termination and be free from the board on the other one. And it was uh, just an interesting term because it was descriptive on two counts. One is that if you looked across your board and there was a bunch of these uh, kind of semi-crooked resistors or capacitors standing up, they kind of looked like uh, old gravestones in, in a, or old tombstones in a graveyard, uh, kind of all tilted from the weather and age. And it also meant that your circuit was dead, so uh, it was kind of a descriptive thing. I just thought you'd enjoy that. Uh, you're probably familiar with the term uh, tombstoning. But anyway, that's all I had. Uh, again, excellent topic, as always. Well, thanks, Alan. Um, yeah, tombstoning, it's, um, it, that can happen inadvertently while we're soldering components ourselves. So you go to solder one side, you go back to solder the other side of the resistor, and lo and behold, if the heat hadn't dissipated or something, and and the other side popped up. It's you know like a whack-a-mole kind of thing in in some regards. And thanks too for your uh, thanks too for your uh, your reference links to your videos. I think uh, man, that is just excellent material that you put out there on YouTube. And if anybody hasn't yet checked the links that I added to last week's whiteboard, you really ought to because it's uh, good stuff. Rick, did you have a question? Have a question? Pete, go ahead. Yeah, uh, when I built uh, the last soft rock I built, which was uh, actually a couple-year-old design, um, I was uh, thrown for a small loop because the resistors were of all kinds of odd values, these little resistors, and they weren't uh, SMTs for the most part. Uh, 
they, 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 the, the value, somebody decided we need a new set of values for uh, resistors as far as standard values goes. Uh, can either of you or somebody uh, shed light on why that came to be and uh, what good it, what good is it it is? Well, I think you're referring to sometimes you get a uh, maybe a resistor might be 22.1 K, 1%. Is that what you mean? And it's an unusual resistor, and why do we use them in some cases? And I agree with the soft rock, there's a bunch. Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, I don't remember the specific values, but they were odd. Instead of a 47K, it'd be 47.3K or something like that. Yeah, that, that's that's the point. Um, in some cases, a precise resistor, I mean, a, a very specific value resistor, is is important whether it's to establish a a um, a very uh, specific voltage bias or um, uh, set the gain just very specifically on a gain stage. Um, another reason for this too is maybe the designer hasn't taken the time to kind of calculate what a standard value would be because oftentimes in a design process what we come up with is a need for a 47 point would you say 47.3k resistor and uh, lo and behold you probably mm -hmm. could obtain one a one percenter and so you just say ah what the heck it's just a part we'll order it as is i don't have to balance my voltage dividers and to accommodate standard components so you just leave it alone no I, this, this is like every resistor in this unit is of some odd value, like R4 is 499 ohms, and uh, oh, what, what else is here that's a resistor? Um, you know, there, there are a few 10K and that kind of thing, but there are a lot of resistors that are, I mean, this is like almost every resistor. This is, this is a whole line of uh, parts that doesn't, that doesn't match with what a lot of us are used, used to. Yeah, Joe, go ahead, and also you might want to, Mention the the uh, the joy of one percent resistors that's going to come along with a rainbow tuner. <laughs> um, I think at least in part um, the attempt was done to have. Uh, I think there are two parallel audio channels there, two um, two audio amps. So the values are are chosen so that um, there's a very tight tolerance on the gain through those two amplifiers, the two amplifier chains have the same gain. And also the fact that uh, the 1% um, resistors tend to be stable with the temperature so that the gain will remain uh, stable with temperature. Well, That's even probably okay. a lot of what it was. Even even in the bandpass, the, the, the uh, input filter, output filter circuitry, I see these 4.99K resistors and a 22.1K resistor, for example. Well, in filters, if you want to uh, carefully control the um, frequency response, you have to use uh, uh, precision components. Yeah, precision components sometimes are not the normal 10K and that kind of thing. They do tend to have um, oddball values. And yeah, exactly. You are trying to you're trying to keep the I and Q channels in balance and within a certain tolerance. So your differential phase. And your differential gain between them are the same because you are dealing with uh, I and Q in a soft rock, and so they've got to be that you've got to minimize the difference between the two. And I think they chose some values to get the gain exactly right. And uh, like like I think Joe said, some of the uh, point one or some of the one percent values are kind of oddball values; they're not exact. 
Well, okay, that's that. That's basically what I was wondering because I don't know what the, uh, I don't remember if they specified the percent uh, uh, percent tolerance on these things. Uh, I, as as we were saying before, with increasing technology, we can do inexpensive, much higher tolerances, much better tolerances than we could in the past. So it's it possible that they ordered everything in that high. Uh, a high tolerance thing, but uh, the question was, you know, why are we in, in these oddball, oddball values? Because you could do a one percent or point five percent in conventional values just as easily. Well, you have the ability to really order a lot of parts, uh, uh, even if they are are, are oddballs. Um, you just don't happen to have a lot of them in your bench. Another. Another circuit to kind of test out this theory with uh, Pete is to look at, you know, look up the R2, the R2 receiver design. Um, it's what uh, Alan was referring to uh, with I and Q uh, signal processing amplifiers that have to be very precisely controlled from a, not just a gain stage perspective, but also from a phase relationship for the signal passing through those stages. And in order to really have those things be dead on each other um, and accurate throughout, uh, a, a lot of low uh, specialty components are used. Um, was there somebody else there, Alan? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think it was uh, Terry talking about the uh, the quadrature paths. But um, yeah, I guess uh, the, I guess two comments. One is uh, a lot of times the oddball values are because. Um, uh, essentially, there's a just like you know the standard values. If you look at the standard values, you can say, well, why does it go to you know 47k and then 56k and you know 62 and why why are why those numbers? And it's because they follow a progression. You know, uh, if they're five percent values, then one is five percent. You know, if you go up five percent, up five percent, up five percent. You know, etc. You know, kind of up the chain, and that's why the values are kind of oddball. It's not all just even numbers. So when you go down to one percent or half a percent, the uh, the steps now become even more oddball. But um, so that's sometimes why you have an oddball value. It's not that they wanted exactly a 22.1k resistor, but maybe in that particular circuit they needed um, you know two resistors to match or ratio very precisely. And maybe the absolute value wasn't quite so important, but uh, the matching of that resistor to something else was important. And by getting a tighter tolerance resistor, uh, they're they're ensuring that that value with respect to the other one um, doesn't vary that much. And uh, in fact, it's one of the arts of uh, when you do integrated circuit design. On integrated circuits, the absolute tolerance of resistors is horrible. Sometimes plus or minus 20% or more. But the matching of identical resistors on an integrated circuit is fantastic. So you generally take great advantage of the matching properties of, of components in integrated circuits rather than absolute values. You know, on the, in the, the discrete world, you've got the op, excuse me, you've got the luxury of uh, of doing either. Uh, but you're just at the mercy of what uh, what parts are available. I also noticed, now I can't read the color code, but I noticed that a 49.9 ohm resistor, which is a 1% resistor, has a color code of yellow, white, white, gold, brown. So there's also another, another. in fact, you haven't talked about the um, color code uh, variances over the years at, at all. Yeah, I think we don't have time for that th this evening, or at least that I'm not prepared to. Um, color codes are color codes. They are what they are. I'm not sure that they... Uh, I didn't realize that they had changed that much over the years, other than some of the 1% devices 
and maybe some specialty components from specific vendors or, or something. Um, other questions relating to, you know, the, the presentation material that we had here before we wrap her up, it's starting to get just a little bit late. Pete, we can carry on with this afterwards if you wish. That's, uh, I didn't mean to stifle that part of the discussion. Just I wanted to close up for those who might have to leave. What I'd like to point everybody to um, is up at the top of the page, if you haven't yet discovered, um, um, if you would, refresh your page. You can Typically, there's a control at the top of your browser, maybe at the end of the address bar up at top, or something that says refresh. Or if you're using Windows system, sometimes that's an F5. Uh, but refresh your page, which should, again, just repaint uh, uh, the HTML page that we're looking to for the whiteboard. And you'll see a new section that I added up at the top, and that is called uh, Chat with a Designer Project Status. So what I did, and I didn't get a chance to complete, but generally I wanted to provide a mechanism that we can uh, use to track the different projects that are in progress and let you know kind of where they are um, along the way. Uh, top of the list is the most easy to arrange since there's really nothing to do but strike the deal with um, ah, Dick somebody. Uh, Dick, uh, I forgot Dick's name, uh, last name again. Um, but the author for the Electronic Workbench reference book that we talked about last week. So we're getting a deal. Um, I'm going to pass that deal on to you folks. might be just a couple bucks, um, but you'll at least have an opportunity to get that book if you wish. And it's just a fabulous book. Now, the Rainbow Tuner is so far is, is, is advanced as 90% because we've got all the parts here. The circuit boards are here and uh, just lacking a couple of parts. And actually, we talked about the, uh, the rarity, the scarce condition for the polyvericon caps. So um, those, uh, uh, that, that project is here and we're ready to get that out really shortly. Same too with the Retro SWR. You remember that? The old meter uh, and the and the that special construction technique, Ellen. I forgot what the name of that was. You 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 had that construction by wire, high wire, uh, Skywire. Skywire sounds like an Olympic event. So um, definitely, and it probably could be if you get it wired right. So um, get your gold uh, get your gold medal for getting that thing together shortly. The meters arrived. I don't know if I had mentioned that. Really, really nice looking meters. All of these, by the way, are in limited supply. And uh, we'll just announce it here in this group here until we are, uh, our interest is sated. And then we'll be able to go on and uh, carry on with uh, uh, the rest. Maybe it's a group of 50 or a group of 100 is probably the, the size of the kit, the number of kits that are being produced. And then uh, the Growler SWR bridge is, is there. Just need to kind of complete uh, the, the PCB manufacturing process, the SIC, the sweeper input card is a low-level RF input card. Is that I put it at 63.2% because a couple of us are working on that very actively right now and using it along with another project. So we're evolving the form factor a bit. The U-Blocks uh, GPS uh, chip, and uh, as I explained last time, the eval board for it are progressing. Um, once we get to the next stage of uh, checking out the circuits, uh, both JJ and Joe and myself will be able to get that thing going and, and uh, made up with the, the chips that JJ is arranging for us. So we'll soon have that U-Blocks 6 chip available. Actually, I think uh, we have two versions coming in that we'll have samples of or sample uh, quantities for that uh, will be a good price for everybody here. 
One is just um, one that provides a good quality one pulse per second output. That's the standard one. And then another one has the 10 kilohertz reference. We're learning more about these signals and we'll be able to share some of that uh, as we go along. The signal quality meter um, is something that uh, we have. We talked about it briefly. I love that little circuit and that's, that's why I want to get it out and available to this team here. We'll have another review when that, uh, when that one is ready. And then the step attenuator that we talked about today. Just resistors, but we have to get those parts together. And uh, the, the PCBs cut and some photos made and using the, a wonderful reference that Paul, uh, Paul Harden, uh, NA5N, uh, provides in that article is what we're going to be using. So that's kind of like the status of what our projects are. Every week we're asked about it. And I thought I would uh, uh, put it down on paper, as it were. I'm going to put this over to the main, the main chat with designer page real shortly. And uh, along with links, uh, kind of like pictured links, that will take you to each of these projects. So we have one convenient spot, the Chat with the Designer homepage that lists not only all of the whiteboards and the podcasts and the descriptions, but it'll indicate the Chat with the Designer project status uh, and links to those projects themselves. Okay, that's about it for tonight. Um, um, I had already wrapped up and Joe had already wrapped up the topic of uh, the ubiquitous resistor what you can do with it, places you can go with your resistor that you never knew existed, perhaps. Thanks so much, everybody, for attending. Joe and I really appreciate your participation here. It is extremely gratifying to us to be um, finding like-minded souls like you folks here who attend live and, and uh, equally as well for everybody. And I'm receiving a lot of feedback of those who are regular listeners of the podcast on the way to work, in the train, on the way to the city, sitting in your easy chair out in the backyard. I've got all sorts of stories that are coming in. We really appreciate everybody's uh, support and feedback and guidance for like what you'd like to find uh, out about next, what topic you'd like covered uh, in the following weeks, and that, that drives us. That's exactly what Joe and I'd like to do, and we, uh, um, we, we think that you do too. So good night all, and we'll see you next week, same time, same station, to chat with the designers on Tuesday evening at 8 p.m., Eastern Time, 00000 Zulu, and uh, have a good week.